Wednesday. Hello, one and all, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Sorry that we have been so mightily inconsistent recently. It's not the plan. This is not what the what the overarching theme of the show is. We don't try to be this inconsistent, but the week before last, I was battling some sicknesses, and again, like I said before, I was not down with the sickness. I was very much not down with the sickness. And then the week after, didn't record a show on Monday, and then came back on Wednesday, did a show on Friday, and then, all right, wow, well, I'm getting all my weeks mixed up. So when did I record my last show? Because <laughs> I didn't record on Friday. Last Wednesday? Because I recorded one last Monday, and then last Wednesday, and then I didn't record last Friday because me and a few friends were watching the United States taking on Jamaica. U.S. won that game 2-0. Ricardo Pepe, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, scored both goals. And then the United States lost to Panama on Sunday, which in on one hand is surprising. On the other hand, it's not that surprising. Panama has been a, a thorn in the side of the United States for the past few years now. And going down to Panama, losing was a weird lineup to begin with. A lot of good players got sent back to their countries for, uh, I believe, quarantine restrictions or something like that. So you lost a lot of good players, and you lost one nothing. Now you're going to a game against Costa Rica, which is a game you should win yet again. That's on Wednesday. So make sure you tune into that. The United States should come up with a dub there. But I'm on one hand, I'm surprised I lost Panama. On the other hand, I'm not surprised. It's a, it's a two-way coin here. I've watched the United States for too long to know that they are going to go down to countries that should definitely beat and win. That's what's supposed to happen, but we know that's not what always happens, especially when you look at the team selected there. And one thing I got away from Thursday, which is a, which I'm one of the reasons I'm upset I didn't do a show on Thursday. Now, this is the first time in, well, since Matt Turner's been dominant, let's just say it like that. Since the Gold Cup, where Matt Turner staked his case to be the number one goalie for the United States, this is the first time that I remember, anyways, because I don't think, well, Zach Stephan was in the team. Okay, and Zach Steffen was the backup to Matt Turner. And not only was he the backup, when they released the squad numbers, Matt Turner had the number one jersey and Steffen had the number 13 jersey. So, is this a sign of things to come in the future or is this just a one-off thing that Zach Steffen would be the backup for this one game before he got sent back to England? Because he was not on the squad on Sunday's game against Panama. I don't know if it would really matter if he was on the squad anyways because with the way Matt Turner's been playing recently, it'd be kind of hard to bench Matt Turner. It'd be very hard to do that. And we talked about that after the Gold Cup, that it'd be very hard to bench Matt Turner, but we needed Zach Steffen to get a run of games in so we could go, okay, yeah, that's Matt Turner's job, or yeah, it's just still Zach Steffen's job. But after Thursday, I think it's Matt Turner's. It's not saying he had he didn't really have to do a lot. <laughs> At least if my memory serves me correctly, he didn't need to do a lot against Jamaica. But that's the first time since the Gold Cup, that those two have been on the squad together and Matt Turner started and Matt Turner had the number one jersey. Because there are chances or times where you have a goalie like this and the starter doesn't necessarily have to wear the number one jersey. Like in Spain, when you look at the Spanish national team, Unai, Unai Simon, Spain's number one wears number 23 because David De Gea still rocks the number one jersey. But in this case, the number one goalie that started for the United States on Thursday Wore the number one jersey. So maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. Zach Steffen's not in the squad, which again, he got sent back, I think, Saturday before the game on Sunday against Panama. So we'll see what happens in the future. But for 2021, this has been Matt Turner's year. <laughs> 2021 has been the year of Matt Turner for the United States. Goodness gracious. So that started on Thursday. And then Saturday came. 
Friday, if I remember right, nothing really happened on Friday, at least for my standpoint. <laughs> Things might have happened for other people, but we had some games in college football on Friday. Cincinnati beat Temple pretty unsurprisingly, and then Arizona State beat Stanford 28-10 with a pick six that eventually ruined the spread, and we'll get to the bets in a little bit. But on Saturday, in regards to stuff for Logan, Iowa defeated Penn State. Number three took down number four, and then not only did that happen, Texas A&M, a team whose quarterback that's been playing, and the team in general has been weird since their starting quarterback got hurt. They're coming off a loss against Mississippi State, which is not the best team in college football this season. They beat Colorado by three points, a team that lost to Minnesota by 30. So to say, I know, and I know this, going into the game, I know Kyle Field is a very tough place to play. When Johnny Manziel won the Heisman, the year after, they saw that massive renovation. They went from like 70,000 to 110,000 or some ridiculous stadium capacity increase to make it an even harder place to play than what it already was, especially at night. But knowing that, I still thought Alabama was going to be coming away with a victory. And I know Alabama hasn't played the best at times this year, but coming off a big win against a good Ole Miss team, going into this game against Texas A&M, who's looked shaky to say the least this season, I expected Bama to come away victorious. You have the current Heisman favorite, or the then Heisman favorite, I, I think he's still technically the Heisman favorite, but the Heisman favorite, Bryce Young at quarterback. Brian Robinson's coming off a game where he had four touchdowns. Your defense locked down a very explosive passing offense with a way better quarterback. So I was like, oh, yeah, Alabama's got this. I don't care what the spread is. Alabama's going to beat them, and barely handily. And that's not what happened at all. AM came in and beat Alabama. It's the first assistant coach under, that's assisted under Nick Saban to beat Nick Saban, 24-1. and one. Now, Jimbo Fisher is the first assistant coach to beat Nick Saban. And that home field advantage is massive. And there was a point when Alabama tied the game or took the lead, it was like, okay, now it's over. Like AM, they hung around, they were, they had the lead, they've been playing very well, but this is Alabama decided to wake up now. We've seen this story told a thousand times. Alabama has won a hundred straight games or something crazy like that against unranked opponents. So this was a game where you're going into it going, okay. Yeah, Kyle Field's tough. AM has been playing shaky recently. Alabama's never lost or 100 games or something since they lost to an unranked team. And then Nick Saban's never lost to assistant coach. All these things stacked up against AM and AM still won the game. Last second field goal won the game. And that is one of the craziest last second field goals I think I've ever seen. Because <laughs> not necessarily how far of a kick it was, that thing was hooking left. And that thing whipped, like, in the middle of its trajectory to the left. It just curled back to the right. I don't know what the hell happened. I think there were, like, 18 laws of physics that were broken with that field goal attempt. But either way, it doesn't matter because they won. And with that win, Georgia moved up to one. Iowa, Iowa, who's quarterback by Spencer Petrus, moved up to number two. And I know I've been critical of Spencer Petrus numerous times on the show. We've not been afraid of criticizing Spencer Petras at all. It's been something we've talked about a lot on this show. And he hasn't been playing amazing, but he's been playing a lot better than what he has been in the past. And this weekend was massive. And there's a lot of people out there, and I can kind of understand the, the logic behind this a little bit. 
It's the fact that, oh, Iowa only won the game because Sean Clifford got hurt. Now, that's all fine and dandy that Sean Clifford got hurt. And I know they're moving the ball well, but injuries happen in football all the gosh darn time. But yeah, in the in the grand scheme of things, for the injury, I saw some people say asterisk win. Like, yeah, Iowa's win doesn't count because the great Sean Clifford did not play in the second half of the game. And you saw a 19-year-old quarterback go into the game, and Iowa lost the game. Or, or Iowa lost. Penn State lost the game. But this is... Why, why is this an asterisk thing? We had a conversation in our fantasy football chat. It's pretty, it's pretty split down the middle in regards to Iowa fans, Penn, or, uh, Penn State, Iowa State fans. But the asterisk thing. Injury, if injuries weren't normally a part of football, and if Sean Clifford was a thousand times better quarterback, then I'd understand the logic behind that. So when Alabama won their, I think it was their first national title under Nick Saban, the Rose Bowl against Texas. Texas lost starting quarterback Colt McCoy. Who was a Heisman finalist? Is that an asterisk national championship because Garrett Gilbert played the game for Texas, or is that national championship still count for Alabama? Because if we do this asterisk thing, because I've seen it on Twitter, it's not even just in the group chat; it's on Twitter everywhere. Does it? Does the asterisk thing happen for every injury? Is that how we're gonna look at this now? <laughs> like that? That's just what I'm thinking. I'm not saying. That I understand where you're coming from to a certain extent with Sean Clifford getting hurt changed the outcome of the game. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Kinnick kicked off in the second half, and I think Penn State would have naturally anyways lost the game because Sean Clifford is maybe a top-five quarterback in a very bad quarterback conference. If he was, If this was... Let's think of another example. If this was... I don't know who's another, who's another good a team with a good quarterback that doesn't have a good backup quarterback. Um, okay, if this was Ole Miss and they lost Matt Corral at some point and they lost Arkansas, I wouldn't expect to see Ole Miss fans saying put an asterisk by it. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't see that because injuries are a part of football. I didn't see. Well, I guess I wasn't on Twitter at this time because I don't know if Twitter existed. But I don't think there were a lot of Texas fans saying. That national championship actually doesn't count because Colt McCoy did not play against Alabama. He got injured on the first drive of the game. First drive. I don't. I haven't seen any. And Texas fans are some of the most annoying, some of the biggest baby fans in college football. And if they're not complaining about it, to at least to my knowledge, there might be some out there. I'm not really associated with too many Texas fans out there. But that hasn't heard anything about the asterisk for them. John Clifford's not that good. I don't know what he got hurt. I just saw him leave the field. <laughs> that was it. Like, and sometimes backup quarterback. And the funny thing, we had a conversation about this. I said, if you and I did, if you and I made the move for Theo Day against Iowa State, I, you and I would have won. And I saw somebody else in that group chat. It was the same people that are bringing up the fact that Sean Clifford got hurt. Backup quarterbacks. If you make a change at quarterback, it can change the outcome of a game for the better. You have new momentum. But then you can have the argument of Penn State already had really good momentum with Sean Clifford, and they lost it when backup quarterback came in. 19 years old on the road at Kinnick Stadium. I mean, Sean Clifford going 15 and 25, 146, two interceptions is really, really good. So I understand that with. <laughs> oh, man. I guess he had 36 rushing yards. I guess Penn State didn't really have any rushing attack after that, I guess. 
But yeah, there's no asterisk here. Because <laughs> then you'd have to put asterisk after every single game a quarterback got hurt. Or any significant player got hurt. It's over. Asterisk added. Game does not count anymore. Penn State stays at number four, Iowa at three. Then we have a grudge match in Indianapolis. Oh, wait, we're already going to have that. <laughs> the grudge match is already in line. As long as Penn State can get past Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. They play three top ten teams with the remaining schedule. Penn State's got a rough-ass schedule. Half of their games this season, once the season includes, will have been against top 25 teams at the time they played them. Wisconsin, Auburn, Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. And the scary thing is, four of those were on the road. Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio State, and Michigan State are all on the road. That is a murderer's row schedule right there. <laughs> I feel kind of bad. No, actually, not really. I have a, one of my, my best friend, he's a Penn State fan. His family's all Penn State, his half his family's Penn State. His mom's a Penn State fan, his dad's a Nebraska fan, and his brother's a Nebraska. I don't know what his sister's a fan of, I've never actually heard her side of the story. I don't know if she cares all too much about that, but, yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't really care if this hurts Penn State's feelings that they lost the game because their all-star quarterback, Sean Clifford, left the game with an injury. And I, I, I still haven't heard what the injury is. Could be something terrible, and I'm not sure, but I, I haven't heard anything. So I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, all I know is the defense is really good. Iowa losing Riley Moss is huge. So if, I mean, he's one of the top two cornerbacks in college football per pro football focus. So if Iowa loses to Purdue, is it an asterisk because one of the best cornerbacks in college football is out going against one of the best wide receivers in college football and David Bell. Is that an asterisk game? If Purdue somehow wins, which either way, Purdue should not win this game. If they do, it's a big failure for Iowa. But if we're just talking about sports injuries, Riley Moss's impact on Iowa, in my opinion, is greater than Sean Clifford's impact on Penn State. So if they lose Moss, who's going to be out for like a couple weeks, against David Bell, who is one of the best wide receivers in college football, it's, see, we have to have the asterisk there as well. Just makes sense. I put Sean Clifford as, I think, the fifth or sixth best quarterback in the Big Ten preseason. And again, it's a bad conference for quarterbacks. The best quarterback in the Big Ten is C.J. Stroud, who has been ridiculed by thousands of people this season, it feels like. It feels like every... We found that Twitter account where every tweet pretty much was dedicated to bashing a 19-year-old kid. <laughs> and C.J. Stroud has turned it around. And Reggie Bush on the Big Noon Kickoff on Saturday said that C.J. Stroud might be the second-best quarterback in college football, which I don't agree with because though he's putting up monster numbers, he hasn't looked great at times. He's coming into his own, which is very, very nice to see. We said at the beginning of the season C.J. Stroud was going to have a good year. He has too many weapons not to have a good year. And he balled out again against Maryland. Five passing touchdowns, 406 yards passing, and no interceptions. That's what you want to see from C.J. Stroud. Back-to-back -back games against Maryland and Rutgers, C.J. Stroud threw 10 touchdowns combined with zero interceptions with 736 passing yards. 736 passing yards. His completion percentage has gone up those two games versus the previous portion of the season. He didn't play Ohio State's fourth game of the season. I don't remember who they played exactly, but that was 
one of the big issues with that Twitter account that no longer exists. Remember that? But yeah, and then I saw it today. I don't remember who tweeted it out, but it was a like Fox, Fox Sports or something like that. Said, who's your Heisman favorite? And the top three guys in their thing were Young, Bryce Young, Matt Corral, and CJ Stroud. I got laughed at by that one dude on Twitter who said, CJ Stroud, what a joke for putting him in honorable mentions. I got in a fight with a dude on Twitter for putting him second in my first week Heisman rankings. And then now he's talked about as the third highest candidate. Now, I've also seen Kenneth Walker the third from Michigan State. Perf- I understand that completely. Kenneth Walker Jr., or Kenneth Walker the third, is all of Michigan State's offense pretty much. Michigan State is an extremely run heavy team. Extremely run-heavy team. Like, it's not even a joke. Like, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous how run-heavy they are. Now, Peyton Thorne has played well this season. He has played well. 14 touchdowns, two interceptions. It's very impressive stuff. But 232 yards from Kenneth Walker, the third. I think this is like his third or fourth game with three, 200 yards. A second. Okay. He had one game against Miami where he had 172 yards. He has nine touchdowns. He's rushed for over 100 yards <laughs> four times with th- two of those games being 200 yards. And both of those games were against Big Ten teams. <laughs> now, granted, Rutgers is, by my estimation, not a Big Ten team. I don't consider them them. But, hey, Greg Schiano's back, which is massive. Love to have Greg Schiano back. Makes Rutgers somewhat more competitive. A little bit, anyways, more competitive. Well, Now, we're, we are comparing this to basically garbage, so it's like, yeah, you're playing better, but Rutgers' standard before Greg Schiano came back to Rutgers was getting beat by 77 points at home to Michigan with Wilton Spate at quarterback. So that's that was the standard. <laughs> and now they're somewhat competitive. And the <laughs> somewhat. I'm not saying they are competitive, but they're somewhat. They're 3-3. Three and three. They started the season 3-0, and oh, beating Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware. Not a murderer's row of games, but then you play three currently top 10 teams in Michigan and Ohio State and New Michigan State and scored 13 points in all. Is this some sort of, I've never noticed this. Rutgers has scored 13 points in four straight games. Is that some type of record? That has to be some sort of record, right? How many times have you seen a team score exactly the same? Oh, wait, no, they allowed 13 points to Delaware. Okay, either way, three games. They scored the same number of points three games in a row. Now they've gotten beat by a different number of points each time. They got beat 20 to 13, then, you know, 52 to 13, and 31 to 13. But I've never seen a team score the same number of points three weeks in a row. That's pretty damn impressive. That's pretty impressive. And I looked at the Delaware game thinking they scored 13. No, they beat Delaware 45 to 13. But I've never seen so many 13s on a schedule before. But yeah, they weren't going to win those games. I expect them to beat Northwestern. And I kind of expect them to beat Illinois, even though they're both on the road. But neither team's that good. Northwestern's pretty garbage. They're favored to win the game. I'm not too surprised by that, but they're pretty bad. Northwestern's pretty terrible. Oh, man. <laughs> but we had some other fun games around college football this week. And before we get into those, we're going to preview or talk about those with our picks from last week. I have not checked a single pick since... Friday, when I made them. Went into a show on Friday, and not talking about picks on Friday has affected the outcome of picks, I believe. 
I haven't checked these, so I have no idea what happened in regards to what my picks were. I know what happened in regards to scores around college football. Could not tell you how that relates to my picks from the weekend, okay? So let's take a gander. So the one I, the two I knew straight off the bat were on Friday because I made them that day. So that's the only reason I know these ones for a fact. Temple at Cincinnati was minus 29. Uh, Cincinnati just demolished Temple 52 to 3. <laughs> so that was a pretty easy one. Next one, though, uh, it wasn't fairly easy. Uh, Stanford, Arizona State. <sighs> yeah, 11 and a half was the line. Stanford has played a lot of really tough football this year. A lot of really tough football. Ironically, the game that they got beat by in the worst fashion was against Kansas State, a team who I think if they played now, Stanford would win. But that's just that's a whole other debate that we can get into because they've already played, but I think Stanford is playing better even though they had a bad game against Arizona State and they've lost two of their last three, but they played well in spurts. After they lost Kansas State, they beat USC 42-28. And I'm not saying USC is the greatest team of all time because they look pretty ass this year. But going to the Olympic Stadium, what is it called? Memorial? No, what is it called? LA Memorial Coliseum. That's what the Coliseum. Going there is not a very easy place to play. Going in there and beating them by 28 points, or... Yeah, no. Wait. Let's count this up here. 14. <laughs> Going in there to beat a USC by 14 points is pretty impressive. And then you have the big win against Vanderbilt on the road again, which is not against Vanderbilt, but you still got the win. Had a close game against UCLA, lost by 11 there, but still close. And then you beat Oregon, number three team in the nation that make Ohio, made Ohio State look like complete dog shit at the horseshoe. First time they've ever beaten them. And then you go in there and beat Oregon with your tight end snapping his ankle. But that's beside the point. And then you go into Arizona State, a team that's flaky. I really like Arizona State, though. I like Jaden Daniels a lot. You've heard me talk about Jaden Daniels. He's in the quarterback ranks for this week. We'll get to those in a little bit. But... Jane Daniels has looked off at times this year. He hadn't thrown a touchdown pass in a big margin of games. They played six games. He's thrown four touchdowns. And the problem is, it's not necessarily the number of touchdowns. It's the lack of consistency between the touchdowns. He's thrown four touchdowns, and four, all four of them came in two games. So he's thrown a touchdown pass in two of the six games they played this season. That's not an ideal ratio, but... You know what? You get a big pick six against Stanford, you win the game. That's what kind of changed it. That's what separated it. It was 21 to 10, and then the pick six happened, and then spread was over. 11 and a half was the line. I didn't think Stanford would win, but I thought they'd be able to cover against Arizona State. They did not. They lost by 18 instead of 11, which is what they would have lost by if Tanner McKee did not throw a pick six. Now, it was a very Ed Reed, Tyler Sash-esque pick six there. Tossed it back to the defender, basically walked into the end zone. Defender caught it, did a little lateral, win the game that way. Uh, Michigan State Rutgers, we already talked about this one a little bit, but Michigan State beat Rutgers pretty good. They dominated on the ground and through the air. Like 232 yards rushing for Kenneth Walker, and then 340 and three touchdown passes for Peyton Thorne. 31 to 13 was the final. They were favored by five. Michigan State won. Maryland versus Ohio State, not even close. This game, I don't think this game was ever close. <laughs> The first half was over, and it was 35-10. to 10. It was not a close game. The, the final score ended up being 
66-17. to They scored 42 points between the second and third quarters. Like, it was a ridiculous game for Ohio State. And the people that were hating on C.J. Stroud at the beginning shouldn't be, I told, you shouldn't be hating on C.J. Stroud. He's a very talented quarterback. We did talk about, though, that he hadn't been playing well, even though he's putting up these gaudy numbers, and that if he didn't start playing better, like, sure, you could put up these massive numbers, but Keaton Slovis is putting up big numbers and not looking great this season. So if, you, if you're putting up these big numbers, that's all fine and dandy, but you got to improve some facets of the game, which he has. Because Maryland Rutgers, he's looked very, very good. He need, I'm assuming he needed that bio, that off week because he was hurt. I think he said he had a shoulder injury or something. But that was, <laughs> that was the same time people were calling for Ryan Day's head, a dude that's never lost a regular season game in Ohio State. So, yeah, I don't really know if these are the most logical thinking people out there. But C.J. Stroud balled out. And they beat Maryland. Then the next one was just a big spread. I was scared of the spread. I was not fearing <laughs> or saying that Vanderbilt would win. I thought they could cover by 38. Good Lord, they lost by 42. You couldn't score a field goal in this game. You made Emory Jones look like a freaking beast, which he is, but he's been shaky a lot this year. He almost lost his starting job against USF after throwing two really bad picks. And if it weren't for the guy getting hurt that replaced him, Richardson, he probably wouldn't be starting right now. But he's gotten back in form and has played well. I thought Vanderbilt could at least get a field goal in this game. Good Lord. Lost by 42 points. Did not help me out there. So right now, we are 3 for 5, which is fine. I'm cool with 3 for 5. Next one, South Carolina, Tennessee. Uh, Yeah, Tennessee. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with Tennessee right now, but they are playing well. Let's put it like that. They won 45 to 20. They're obliterating teams. Their offense is insane right now. Line was 10 and a half. They won. Next one, Arkansas versus Ole Miss. Yeah, a 600 yards of total offense for both teams. 12 over 1200 total yards of offense. Defense was not a thing in this game, which is what showed you last week when they both got obliterated by Alabama and Georgia. Defense does not matter to these teams. What matters to me is Ole Miss holding off for one second, and you covered. One second. That was it. One second. And then you covered the game. You win by seven, you move on. Now, Ole Miss still won, but two middle fingers to them. What is that? And then after that, I was like, I don't really care who wins this game. Screw both teams, to be honest with you. I mean, we already said screw Arkansas, and I probably never pick them again unless they're playing Vanderbilt, unless they're favored by 38 points because I'm not <laughs> – I don't, I don't know. But, man, one second was all you needed. And then Arkansas decided to run the worst two-point conversion play I think I've ever seen and lose the game that way, which I was just laughing. I think this game for Ole Miss since they came out with the win, even though it screwed – flipped off everybody in America who bet on this game, six and a half was the line. They won by one. Because <laughs> they couldn't hold on for one measly second. But I think a lot of people liked Ole Miss. I think this helped. I mean, Matt Corral had another very nice game. He had his second highest rushing total of his career. 94 yards rushing. Got kneed in the face, which I thought was freaking hilarious. Not important, but it was hilarious. And then Arkansas running... T- I don't know what their plan was. To be honest, I don't... I. I'll have to talk to my resident Arkansas expert, Ryan Vaden, because I don't know what the hell that extra or two-point conversion was. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> but either way, screw both of you guys. 
mostly Ole Miss for not being able to hold on for one more second. Next one's Baylor, West Virginia. Baylor was favored by three. They won same score of Tennessee, South Carolina, 45 to 20. Fairly easy one there. Oklahoma, Texas. Thank the Lord for Casey freaking Tom or Casey, geez, Casey Thompson. Yes. Where? Okay, we're not gonna. We're gonna hold off on Spencer Rattler for a little bit. We'll hold off on that. We'll get to that later. But good Lord, Casey Thompson, Kennedy Brooks, mwah, love you guys. I was going for Oklahoma anyways. I mean, most Iowa fans, when they see Oklahoma play, they have a soft spot for Oklahoma. I mean, Bob Stoops was the coach there for years. You got to love Bobby Stoops. You saw that in Iowa City this past week, and Bob Stoops did not care if you did not if he was unbiased or by, if he did not care if he was biased or seen as biased. He started at least what the counter said, 21 let's go Hawks chance. That's beautiful. In Oklahoma, beautiful fourth quarter. Absolutely beautiful fourth quarter. I feel bad for Texas's quarterback. Well, I can't remember. His name is Casey Thompson. Wait, Caleb Williams. I was saying Casey Thompson for Oklahoma. Casey Thompson's Texas quarterback. Caleb Williams. Thank you for Caleb Williams. But Casey Thompson got injured, came back in. I mean, I don't think, I don't know how injured he really was, but he was warming up the sideline, got his wrist taped. Five touchdowns, 388 yards, loss. That's a tough one. That's a very, very tough one. Xavier Worthy, 261 yards receiving with two touchdowns. Joshua Moore, two touchdowns receiving. And you lost. Marvin Mims, one of the better wide receivers in college football, caught one of the most insane touchdowns you'll ever see, ever. The awareness of where he was between the sideline and the actual field is ridiculous. And I'm happy, not only because of the fact that Oklahoma covered. I just like the fact that Oklahoma won. And we'll get, again, we'll talk about Spencer Rattler in a little bit. Next one was Virginia and Louisville. Or Louisville, however the hell you want to pronounce their stupid name. Either way, Louisville didn't cover. They were two and a half point favorites lost by one. We're going to done talk about that. Syracuse versus Wake Forest. Syracuse, or Wake Forest won by three. Syracuse was being annoying shitheads on Saturday. And decided, you know what? We're going to score 37 points. 37 points. <laughs> I don't want Syracuse to do that. It's not what I expect from them. Wake Forest, I know the Carrier Dome is kind of a tough place to play, but what the hell? You could beat Syracuse by more than three. <laughs> you could win by seven. Next one, Wisconsin, Illinois. I have no idea what happened this one. I did not see this game at all on Saturday. Okay, Wisconsin won 24 nothing. They were favored by 10. Not surprised. Next one, Ball State and Western Michigan. This was one I kind of tossed and turned about because Western Michigan has had a pretty nice season. To this point, Ball State has not, and Ball State's been one of the, I don't know what you call it, disappointments of the MAC conference because of how good they were last year, being 2-3, and three, but they, this is just a common theme, they obliterated Western Michigan 45-20. Pretty easy one. Georgia-Auburn, fairly easy one, 14 and a half. I mean, obviously... Georgia was going to win that one. <laughs> Auburn's offense has been shaky a lot this season. Bo Nix got benched at one point, and they played LSU, who's got one of the worst defenses in college football this season. So I wasn't expecting a lot going into play. The number one defense in college football. I don't even need to look at the score. I watched the game. It was a bloodbath. And we'll talk about the other quarterback situation going on in Georgia as well later. Uh, Boise State, BYU. Boise State won. Had BYU covering. Boise State won. Next one, SMU Navy. 
Do I want, do I, do we need to go over this one? Do we need to go over this one? Because, uh, yeah, SMU, fair by 13 and a half, wins by seven against a bad Navy team. <laughs> a very bad Navy team. Piss me off. Come on, and I like Navy. I grew up watching a lot of Navy football. I like watching Navy, but come on, man. Next one, we had Florida Atlantic taking on, who did they take? UAB, they lost by, uh, you know, a lot. Let's just put it like that. They lost by 17, and I had them covering. They were four and a half underdogs. I had them covering. Iowa, one by three. Line was two. Iowa covered. Good freaking job out of you guys, Iowa. Next one, we had Oregon State taking on Washington State, Oregon State, or Washington State, sorry, won 31-24. Oregon State lost the game for their second loss on the season, and Oregon State's played very well up until that point. Next one on the list was UCF taking on ECU. ECU was 10-point underdogs, and they lost the game, but not by 10. They lost by 4, so they covered. Yes, 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 go ECU. Next one, Kent State and Buffalo. <sighs> Tiring, being this entertaining all the time. Uh, Kent State won, 48-38. They were favored by 5.5. They covered. Next one, TCU, Texas Tech. I did see that Max Duggan and a few other key members of TCU's team might be out this next week, and they were favored by 1.5, and, and Texas Tech laid an egg, lost 51, <laughs> 52-31. We had TCU covering that game there as well. Next one, Wyoming Air Force. I think I flipped this one right before the game started right before the game started. Actually, well, right before the game started. Right before I sent this to Tom. <laughs> this goes in on the day before the game. Uh, Air Force favored by 6. They won by 10. So there was another one. Wait, uh, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Notre Dame won the game. They were favored by one point, and they won by more than one. Next one, Michigan versus Nebraska. Michigan was a 10, or 10, three-point favorite. They won by three. So I don't know how that one works. If they'll give it to Michigan, I don't. I, that's one part that I don't really understand. Minus three, they won by three. So I does that count, or does it count for? Or is that just even? I think it just counts as even. I don't know. We'll see. I, I we'll count it for me. <laughs> I don't know if it actually counts, but we'll count it for me. Next one, Kentucky hosting LSU. One by twenty-one. They're favored by three. Easy one. Next one, USC versus Utah. USC stinks. They are bad, like very bad. In the three games they've lost, or four games, no, three games they've lost, all of them have been by double digits, and all of them at home, and all of them against teams they should beat. I don't care if Stanford's got a good head coach, David Shaw, I really like him, or a good quarterback. I don't care if Oregon State has been hot this year. I don't care if Utah's a tough team in the Pac-12. USC should not lose to these teams. I would understand if it was on the road, because I know Stanford's a tough place to play. No, Utah is a very tough place to play. Oregon State recently has not been a very tough place to play. So that one, they should just never lost, let alone lose 45 to 27. USC was favored by three and lost by a shit ton. Next one, Alabama at AM. We already talked about this. AM beated Alabama. Beated them pretty dang good. I know it was only a three point game, but hey, for the standards Alabama has. That's beaded down pretty good. And the last one was New Mexico at San Diego State. I did not see anything from this one. San Diego State was favored by 10.5. They won 31-7. to So there was a good one. So I don't know what we do. I feel just from, I feel like we said we got a lot right this week. That's how I feel. So we got St- Cincy Temple right. There's one. 
Michigan State Rutgers, Ohio State Maryland, Tennessee South Carolina, West Virginia Baylor, Oklahoma Texas, Wisconsin Illinois, Ball State Western Michigan, Georgia Arkansas, uh, Iowa Penn State, East Carolina UCF, Buffalo Kent State, TCU Texas Tech, Wyoming Air Force, Notre Dame Virginia Tech, we're counting for me, Michigan, Nebraska, LSU, Kentucky, and San Diego State, New Mexico. 18 right. 18 out of what? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. 18 out of 29. You know what? I'm going to do the math here. That's 62%. You know what? This is a very high completion percentage. Or not very high. That's a good completion percentage. Like if you're looking at best quarterbacks in the NFL, now you'd like them to be higher. But 62% is pretty good. We will take that. Take that every trip of the train. Good Lord, we'll take that. 18 out of 29. You know what? I'll give myself a round of applause. Uh, but screw. Here's games. Like here, We're going to go hindsight here. Which games will I take back? Stanford, Arizona State. I was that was one I felt. I ah, know I wouldn't take that. I was pretty confident in that one going in. I take that back. Vanderbilt, Florida. I mean, 42, 38. It's whatever. I didn't think Vanderbilt would get shut out. I thought they'd get a field goal or something, and I didn't think Florida would win by that much. <laughs> That's why I picked Vanderbilt. Um Louisville, Virginia. That's one I wish I could have kind of taken back. Which other ones are there here? BYU, no, I was confident in BYU, Boise State. Provo, Utah is a very, very tough place to play. UAB, Florida Atlantic, or uh, yeah, Florida Atlantic. I was going more off the fact, I like, uh, Nikozi Perry is the quarterback for Florida Atlantic. UAB was coming off a very, very bad loss at home to Liberty. I know Florida Atlantic and Liberty are not on the same level, but I thought they would be able to cover by four and a half instead of getting blown out of the freaking water. Next one. No, I'm pretty... Fine with all of them. I mean, obviously, AM, Alabama, 17 and a half, AM winning by three. I should have, that's one I probably should have taken back because I was going so hard on the fact that Saban's never lost to an assistant coach. He's never, or hasn't lost in 100 games against an unranked team. Backup quarterback's not playing great, but it's at Kyle Field. And I know Kyle Field's an extremely tough place to play regardless, let alone at night. So I, Alabama, I did think, would win. In hindsight, even though I said I was confident in that one, I do think I should have taken that one back because of what I know about Kyle Field in general. So those are about those are a few games I wish I could take back. Most of them, though, I'm pretty fine with. Like, I, you, I could see my, my logic, thankfully, behind them. It's not like there's something ridiculous going on that I did not expect whatsoever. Well, I, that, well no. <laughs> I guess that's pretty much what happened. But yeah, no, I feel I feel fine. I feel fine with that. Next one that we got on here, moving on from college football, what also happened on Saturday was Fury Wilder Part 3. If you know me, you know I'm a big Tyson Fury fan. Before the first fight happened, I really liked both of them. I thought Deontay Wilder was just insane. If you want to watch knockouts, watch Deontay Wilder. Before the Tyson Fury fight, 42 wins, 41 knockouts. Or he still has that because he drew and lost twice to Fury. He should have lost three times, but you know what, whatever. Fury was coming off a very rough patch, and not just his boxing career, in his life, outside of boxing, 
and then had two fights and was calling out Deontay Wilder the entire time. And they fought. And Deontay Wilder looked good because you're facing a guy that's had two fights in about a three or four year span who was coming off a very, very dark place in his life, coming out of a very dark place in his life. And he looked good, but I think Fury won the first fight. And then the second fight happens. And you're still like, oh, I really, I still like Deontay Wilder, but I'm going, I'm a big Fury fan. I like what he's done. I had my Manchester United jersey on both, both fights. This, we're talking about the second one now. And Fury wins, handily, like easy. And I was on the side of, yeah, I understand where Deontay Wilder's coming from and not throwing the towel and he wants to go out on his own terms. Deontay Wilder was very close. If he didn't throw the towel into suffering severe brain damage, and I'm not being funny here, I'm being 100% honest here, I think that saved Deontay Wilder. He can be all pissed off if he wants. The, the part that made me, I like watching Deontay Wilder, but I don't like him the way I used to. When he came through with all the excuses, the made-up excuses that Fury cheated. No, you just got your ass beat. He never gotten beat like that. He never been knocked down, to my knowledge, never been knocked down before that fight. And he got murdered against Tyson Fury in that one. And Tyson Fury, the fights he had before that were not the greatest fights ever of his career anyways. And this one, he just murdered him. And Deontay Wilder came up through with all these excuses and he had the stupid thing of like, what is said does not mean to be seen or what's understood does not, whatever. Dumb quote. Didn't ever prove anything, just said it. And it was just like, well, if I said it, I don't need to explain it. What the hell does that even mean? And then I like that Fury winning on the joke because it is a joke. Like, I don't care if Wilder really meant it. It's a joke. Like, that, it's BS. That, <laughs> it can't, come on. Seriously, you, there's no way he actually believes that. And then the trainer that was with Fury during the first fight, or the second fight, watching his gloves get his hands wrapped, was there again for this fight, watching Fury get his hands wrapped, and Fury was going in on him again. It's like, dude, your guys were in there. It's not like they just did this behind closed doors. Your guys saw him get his hands wrapped. It's just be, and then you got your ass kicked again. Now, in the first round, Wilder looked really good. He was hitting the body. He was setting up the big overhand because he always does the same thing. And it's gotten him out a lot of fights, a lot of them. And then the second round came, started to see, started to switch sides a little bit. And then Fury knocked down Wilder in the third. And then Fury, or Wilder knocked down Fury twice. First time he's ever been knocked down twice in a round in his career. And Wilder knocked him down. Which, again, doesn't matter how much Wilder's getting beat. Fury, or uh, Wilder, has the biggest get-out-of-jail card almost in boxing history. Arguably in boxing history. That right overhand. It is insane how ridiculous that his power is on that. And he's not, height-wise, he's a big dude. Weight-wise, compared to the other heavyweights in the division, he is not that big. But he came into this fight the heaviest he's ever been. 238 pounds. Oh, and we forgot about the last fight saying his stupid suit weighing 40 pounds made him tired. Shut up on that one. That's your own fault. And you're trying to use that as an excuse. But back to this. Coming in at 238, did not have a 40-pound suit on him. Heaviest he's ever been. And Fury came in. And laid on him pretty much the entire time. Which is extreme. Like, Fury was already knowing that while was the heaviest he's ever been, Fury's going to lay down on him pretty much and tire him out. While he's never been this big, Fury's just going to lay on him, tire him out. And that's what happened. 
And Fury, after the fourth round, dominated the rest of the fight. Dominated. But, fair play to Wilder. I thought that fight was ending a lot sooner in the 11th round. And Wilder stayed up to the 11th round and then got knocked out cold. Knocked out. No TKO. KO. Knocked out. And it's pillow fist that he called Tyson Fury. <laughs> pillow fist. And after the fight, I haven't really heard a lot from Deontay Wilder. I know he didn't say anything after the fight. He just walked back to the locker room, which is kind of annoying that he's not going to say anything. And I think he was pretty, at least from the quote that I think I saw on Twitter, I don't know if it was actually real because I have, I've only saw it on Twitter. It's better than what he said the last time they fought, which isn't saying a lot because your standards aren't very high for that last fight in regards to what you said afterwards. But man... Anthony Joshua, by comparison, when you look at the loss Anthony Joshua's had, the Andy Ruiz fight in particular, the first one, where he lost in Madison Square Garden, Anthony Joshua didn't make any excuses. Andy Ruiz was not a, he's not a bad fighter whatsoever. I'm not saying he is. But there's no way Anthony Joshua should have lost that fight. And he did. That's a little different than saying the number one heavyweight in the world cheated Anthony Joshua had so many more get-out-of-jail cards from Ty- from Andy Ruiz than Wilder did to Fury. And Joshua took it. And then beat him up in the second fight. Didn't finish him, but beat him up in the second fight. And then lost to Usyk. Did the same thing. Just said, I lost. We'll move on from it. But that being said, though Joshua, I think, is a better person than Deontay Wilder, is more accepting than Deontay Wilder, I think Deontay Wilder kills Anthony Joshua. That's, <laughs> that's just what I think about it. Josh, or Wilder is not a great boxer. He is a great puncher. He could knock anybody out. Anybody. There was talks of him moving down to division a few years ago, and he was like, I'd kill people. i knock out 300-plus pound people. I'm going to kill people below me. Like, yeah. <laughs> and Joshua, who I'm not the biggest fan of, he's a big name, but not the biggest fan of in regards to you look at how much he gets hyped for if you look at the people he's fought it's like uh why are... I mean built got the looks I mean hey you want pictures he's your guy but I think he's and I think he's a very good person but I don't wild or fury kills him wilder kills him wilder knocks him out I mean Andy Ruiz knocked him down got a TK on the seventh round wilder kills him Usyk versus Fury, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I want to see Joshua versus Wilder. That's the thing I really want to see. For Fury, I think the next one's Dylan White. I think that's the next one for him. Usyk's a weird one. I mean, if you want to unify the division, go for Usyk. But Joshua and Usyk are going to fight again. So that one's already set up pretty much. I think I saw something today about Joshua's group saying they're going to fight Alexander Usyk again. Which makes sense. I mean, you want to get the third one out of the way or second one out of the way. And then if they, if Joshua wins, which I don't believe he will, but if he does, then they'll have a trilogy like what we had this time. But unlike this trilogy, Usyk definitely won the first fight and got credited with the win for the first fight. Fury won the first fight, got credit with a draw. And then Fury won the second fight easily and won the third fight easily. But yeah, uh, great fight overall for the Tyson Fury's Deontay Wilder fight. Great fight. But yeah, I haven't heard anything really from Deontay Wilder. I just hope it's no more excuses like last time because 
I think myself and a, a bunch of other people out there lost a lot. And Wilder doesn't care about this. I mean, obviously he doesn't care because he wouldn't just keep nailing down on it. But it lost a lot of respect for him from that standpoint. I mean, as a, a fighter, nothing but respect for him. Like, you got killed the entire fight from the 5th round to the 11th round, and you lasted till the 11th round, which is insane. I don't know how the hell that happened. I think most people watching that don't understand how the hell Wilder lasted the 11th round, but he did. But he did. And I give him all the credit in the world for that, but I don't want to hear any of the excuses again because that was some bullshit last time. But hey, better fire one twice, should have won all three times, beat him three times, maybe not get credited with a win, but beat him three times. And I'm excited to see what's next for Fury. I think the 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 trail's pretty easy for Joshua or for uh, Wilder at this point in regards to who he can fight next because he's not the champion. I don't know what Fury's going to do. I saw something today that was Usyk or nothing, which I'm not surprised about. But I I don't know what's going to happen with the with Fury next. We'll see. We'll see. That's the fun part of boxing and the kind of scary part about boxing. You never know when someone's going to fight again. That's the sad and scary part. Don't know when Fury's going to fight. There's They didn't even tease the question. They asked him two or three times after the fight. Did not even scare a response. <laughs> Nowhere close to scaring a response in regards to who he's going to fight next. But well, time will tell on who Fury fights next. And finally, after getting done talking about boxing, Talking about college football. Talking about bets. We've got some NFL to talk about. I was down in Kansas City this weekend for the Bills versus the Chiefs. Sunday night football. Yeah. Couldn't be more happy about that. Good freaking Lord. Yes! Dominating performance from the Buffalo Bills. And I am starting to realize something. Starting to realize it. Media loves the Kansas City Chiefs. I've realized it before. This is the biggest I've ever seen it in regards to bias towards this garbage-ass team. Because there were some things I saw on Twitter after the game, like the Josh Allen pass, or roughing the passer. That's been the main thing I've seen. Like, this, Emmanuel Lacho, this is the worst pass interference, or, jeez, I keep saying, roughing the passer call I've ever seen. Okay. Well, did you see the one that was called on Patrick Mahomes? Like, if you want to use the, oh, he was at his knees. Well, technically, for the Josh Allen roughing the passer, dude put all of his body weight through Josh Allen and threw him on the on his head. If you want to use that Ed Oliver hit Mahomes low, which he tapped him, you could not, you have to say both of them. Both were garbage roughing the passer calls. I'm not saying they're roughing the passer calls, but if you're going to bring up one, Bring up the worst rough in the passer call of the game, which is the Mahomes one against Ed Oliver. And then not only the rough in the passer against Josh Allen, the play before that would have derailed that entire thing was a BS holding call on Mitch Morse that nobody's talking about because they want to say, oh, that rough in the passer changed the whole outcome of the game. It didn't because the Bills won it by 18. And were the Chiefs really moving the ball that well? No, not at all. They weren't. So that inter- interception, did it change a lot? No. The rough and the passer, no, because if you had the holding call not called, Josh Allen rushed for a first down. That play, you watch the replay, tell me where the holding is. If you're going to get all pissed off about the rough and the passer call, tell me where the holding is on the play before. The drive would have extended if there wasn't a penalty. You can call that a BS rough and the passer call, 
but it's definitely not the worst one ever. Don't hit me with that because the worst one in the game was against Patrick Mahomes because that was a drive ender right there too. They went for it on fourth down and got a rough in the passer call that wasn't rough in the passer. <laughs> but we want to talk about the one with Josh Allen. But we're not going to talk about the holding. We're not going to talk about the one where I think it was LeJarrius Sneed down the sideline holding Stephon Diggs' arm down. Josh Allen ripped his helmet off to run over the ref. No penalty. Oh, we're not going to talk about the whole Travis Kelsey pass interference yanking down Tredavious White when the ball's 15 yards out of bounds, uncatchable, but that's on Tra- Travis Kelsey or on Tredavious White. And I'm not understanding that that thing along with what happened afterward. I didn't get the spot of the where the ball was. I don't get that at all. But there were so many things that happened with the can- that were in favor of the Chiefs. And then Brittany Matthews. For those of you who are that uh, amazingly enough don't know who she is, is Patrick Mahomes' fiance. Good freaking look. The refs are never in our favor. Shut the hell up. You're the Kansas City freaking Chiefs have gotten more calls in your favor in the past year, let alone never in your favor. Shut the hell up. You lost by 18 points. You want to talk about, oh, that's the worst rough in the passer call I've ever seen. What the hell are you talking about? Anybody that said that, shut up. And then we have Nick Bolton twisting Josh Allen's ankle around, or his foot around, and Chris Quallensworth praising it. Like, you want your quarterback to I'm going to twist around his foot. No, you're going to snap his ankle. What was this BS with this? And I'm not surprised by it. I shouldn't have been surprised by it. I'm just more annoyed by it than anything that it was that blatant in regards to bias towards this dumbass team. Like, what the hell were these calls? And what the hell was Twitter and Sunday Night Football afterwards? This team lost by 18 points, and United acted like it was a one-point game. The Bills shafted the Kansas City Chiefs. The Bills bent over this 32-ranked defense and just had their way with them. The Chiefs' defense is awful. The Bills blitzed not once, not twice, zero times in the game. They blitzed zero times against the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, that game was bad. The only thing that was worse than watching the Kansas City Chiefs was the hour and 15-minute rain delay. That sucked. I've never been in a stadium when a rain delays happened. Or rain delay. It was barely raining. It was lightning delay. It rained hard for about five minutes, and then it was raining, but nothing to stop the game. It just lightning nonstop. It's like, good Lord. Can I-, I was getting frustrated. I was exhausted, first off. I've never been to a Sunday night football game before. This is my first ever primetime game. We went to the Dallas Cowboys and the Bills game. But that was at 3. That was not at 7 o'clock. We've been woke up to go down to Kansas City, tailgated all day, and now we're sitting in the stadium. Now we got a freaking rain delay, an hour and 15. And then we're going back to Des Moines the same night. I was not a very happy camper when the rain delay happened at halftime. <laughs> Thankfully, we got through the first half. Because I don't know what would have happened if the lightning delay started when like 30 seconds left in the first half. We had to play those 30 seconds and then we go to halftime. I don't know what the situation would have been like then, but good lord, that rain delay sucked. The only thing worse than that was the Chiefs. I don't know if it was worse, but it was pretty equal. The Chiefs defense. Good lord. And then we just had 
the blatant BS bias towards this garbage team. Good freaking Lord. My Twitter was blowing up. Like, you talk about Josh Allen's rough in the passer call. I'm looking at it right now. By definition, you can call it the worst passer, rough in the passer call you've ever seen, which is complete BS. Look at the one that happened <laughs> to Patrick Mahomes, the sweetheart of the NFL. We're not talking about that one, though. That doesn't fit our Chiefs agenda. We had multiple drives extended by BS calls. And the Bills still won by 18 points. 18. Dawson Knox had 117 yards in the game. There were so many garbage calls. And that stadium, it's loud. I'll give them credit for that. Chiefs fans are passionate. But I don't know about half those people in those stands know anything that's going on. Like You booed relentlessly at the pass, rough in the passer call. Mostly because there was probably an interception. But then you cheer. Thankfully, there were some people around us. We made fun of some of the Chiefs. Like, you cannot be serious with that rough in the passer call. And even they were like, yeah, it wasn't rough in the passer call. But man... Awesome game. Beautiful game. <laughs> that is the, that's the biggest blowout I've ever seen the Bills deliver against the Chiefs. We're now 3-2. and two. And we had a guy behind us when we were leaving say, congratulations, you won one your last, we're one in four in your last five games against the Chiefs. Why are we just going to five? Why don't we talk about the entire time in the 90s when the Bills dominated the Chiefs? <laughs> Why don't we just talk about this one game? We're 1-0 we're one in our last one game against the Chiefs. Why don't we just talk about that? It's more fun. Like, so who cares? Who cares? So? Who cares if the Bills beat the Chiefs or have not beaten the Chiefs in a while? Guess who's above 500 now? <laughs> Guess who's got the worst defense in the NFL? Worse than the team that was supposed to win 0-1 to one games this season. Guess who employs Daniel Sorensen? I mean, this, this could go on and on. And the broadcast, my dad, not, my dad recorded the game. So yesterday, Monday night, we watched the Bills-Chiefs game back. Now, we only got to the third quarter because of the fact that the rain delay happened. The recording was three hours, 40 minutes. Rain delay happens. Kind of screws over the, the last part of the recording. So we didn't see the fourth quarter. But they brought up Chris Jones' injury and a few other injuries for the Chiefs. Not once they bring up Matt Milano's injury, who is one of the most under... No, the most underrated linebacker in the NFL, who was just out. And we didn't bring that up at all. because I guess it wasn't important that the Bills lost their best player on defense, apart from... Uh, no, I'd probably say he's our best player on defense. Like my guy Jordan Poyer, Travis White. I think Matt Milano might be. This might be controversial. He might be the best player on that defense. I never thought about that till right now. That's kind of crazy. But yeah, the Bills dominate the Chiefs. I don't care what people say on Twitter about or Chris Collinsworth, whatever the hell he has to say. Like, dude, stop. <laughs> that was some BS calls they got away with. That almost, that almost, yeah, they, if the Bills didn't get rough in that pass, yeah, the Chiefs would have lost by, what, 11 instead of 18? So, yeah, it's still the biggest loss of Patrick Mahomes' career, regardless of that rough in the pass, get called or not. But then we got to call the one, take away the one that happened earlier. Oh, and then the Bills score again. So then, yeah, you get the ball at the 30-yard line for the Bills driving in versus the 32nd-ranked defense. Oh, you probably win, what, score more points than what they did. Wow, so crazy. But, yeah, other games, Chargers, great game. Against the Browns, 47-42 victory for the Chargers. Four touchdowns for Justin Herbert. 42 points for me in fantasy. Big-time stuff from Justin Herbert. Love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. Falcons beat the Jets in London. Packers and Bengals, weird game. Five missed field goals, I think I saw, in the game. 
Yeah, I'd love to see it. <laughs> Packers win. Joe Burrow got a throat contusion, got taken to the hospital, which he never liked to see. Rodgers just told him to stay, slide, which I agree with 100%. Slide, Joe. We need you in the league. And I saw this, like, every time Joe Burrow gets hurt, they're going to bring up the Sewell thing. Yeah, I think they're doing pretty fine with Jamar Chase because that injury that happened to him was when he was scrambling. It had nothing to do with him in the pocket. And he got rocked. He got absolutely, he got his shit lit up that game. <laughs> but yeah, lost the game. Unfortunate. Love Joe Burrow still though. Love Jamar Chase too. Uh, Vikings beat the Lions 19 to 17. Lions just keep losing in heartbreaking ways. They're 0-5, probably the best 0-5 team of all time, to be honest. Oh uh, yeah, the Broncos losing the Steelers. Broncos are starting to go, oh yeah, our offense does suck ass. <laughs> We're going to start losing again. Uh, Najee Harris balled out this game as well. Bucks killed the Dolphins. I mean, hey, Jacoby Brissett got hurt, finished the game out, but what if he's not ready to go next week? Play your best quarterback, Miami. Come on, just do it. Saints beat the Washington football team 33-22. Eagles beat the Panthers 21-18. Titans beat the Jaguars 37-19. Patriots beat the Texans by three points. And remember, the Patriots put the Bills on notice by putting Mac Jones in, and the Patriots beat the team that the Bills just beat by 40 by three. <laughs> Davis Mills had three touchdown passes this game. But yeah, the Patriots really put the Bills on notice. Bears beat the Raiders 29, and uh, yeah, that John Gruden situation, uh, he's gone. Not surprised. <laughs> uh, I think this, I think the funny part about it is, there's two things that are funny about this. ESPN didn't mention anything other than the fact that this all happened when he was working for them. Never just seemed to not mention that last night during the halftime show for Monday Night Football. And <laughs> that people now forget that Urban Meyer is a raging douche as well, but not, <laughs> I mean, Gruden was obviously going to get fired, or fired, he resigned, obviously he was going to get, he was either going to get fired or resigned, he was not coaching after this weekend, I don't know if he coached this game, but man, Bears, 20-9, good stuff for the Bears, Cowboys obliterated the Giants in the fourth quarter, went 44-20, Daniel Jones left with a concussion in this game, Cardinals beat the 49ers 17-10, and the Ravens came back to beat the Colts 31-25, so we brought up Herbert earlier for <laughs> for the game. Yes, I have fantasy football. We've talked about fantasy football before. I have Daniel Jones and Justin Herbert. Daniel Jones playing the Giants, or the lot of the Chiefs, the Cowboys, Herbert's playing the Browns. There was a part of me that said, hey, Logan, start Daniel Jones. Start Daniel Jones, Logan. Start him. Do it. Start Daniel Jones. Thankfully, both games were at 3 o'clock because, good Lord, there was, if I, I changed it at 3, I put Justin Herbert in. My conscience took over and said, Logan, you're being stupid. Don't play Daniel Jones over Justin Herbert. And I didn't. And Justin Herbert got 42 points versus Daniel Jones, 4. So me winning 141 this week to 27 in a normal league, no PPR, all happened because Justin Herbert started for me. I would have lost 127 to 104, I think, was been the final score. So 103 something. But man, that's a situation of where you just snap out of it and go, what am I about to do? <laughs> I am not really thinking about starting Daniel Jones, am I? And I was, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but I stopped myself. I stopped myself. <laughs> Thankfully, I stopped myself. And my, my backs in general, 
just had an insane game. Jonathan Taylor went off last night. Najee Harris went off on Sunday. Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert went off on Sunday. So I had a very, very nice week. It's the highest scoring total from the league in the however many years it existed. Insane scoring this weekend from everybody in the league. There were some bad ones, but most of it was very, very nice. And finally, before we end the show, I want to get into my week six college football draft expert quarterback prospect rankings. Let's go. Let's get into this. Number one, it's Malik Willis. I watched the entirety of Liberty versus Middle Tennessee State, the entirety of it, and throughout the game, it looked very good. And But Malik Willis threw three interceptions, and not great interceptions either. But there were moments in the game, and I've linked one in the description for my reasoning for this, of a play that he made to score a two-point conversion that no one else in college football could do. No one else. And that's what makes him still number one. I don't care if he threw three interceptions. The first time he's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns in the game since the bowl game against Coastal Carolina, but he ran for four touchdowns in that game. Now he had three total touchdowns this game. He had one rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns in the game as well. Liberty won fairly easily. But yeah, first interception of the season all came against Middle Tennessee State. Not what you expected, but he's I don't it's not enough to drop him down <laughs> at all. Nowhere close. He is the best quarterback in next year's draft. 80 yards rushing as well. 222 yards passing, two touchdowns, one touchdown rushing. He's a beast. I don't care if he threw three picks. Next one, Matt Corral. Very nice game against Arkansas. 287 yards passing, two touchdowns. 94 yards rushing, two touchdowns. 12 touchdowns on the season, no interceptions. Eight touchdowns on the ground, 255 yards rushing. As we said earlier, this was his number two high in regards to rushing yards in a game in his career. He ran for, what did he have? Ran for 158 yards against LSU last year. Ran for 94 this game. The second highest total he's had in his career. That's great stuff. That's very, very nice stuff. And Matt Corral is still number two on this list, which is not should not be very surprising. Number three, this is where we start shaking things up. Number three is Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter had a very nice game against Temple. Unsurprisingly, Temple's not the greatest team of all time. Cincinnati's on a freaking roll right now. And Ritter tossed three passing touchdowns in the game. Had 259 yards, had eight incompletions in the game. I mean, he's just a baller. 12 touchdowns, two interceptions on the season. Yeah, I mean, it was an easy game. Nothing to really write home about this. It was fairly easy. Beating up a not a great Temple team. And this week, though, this week, they got a... I don't know if it's a really tough opponent because Dylan Gabriel's out, to my knowledge. But they're playing UCF, which will be very tough. And I guess I should talk about this. Liberty and Malik Willis are playing Louisiana Monroe. And Ole Miss is taking on Tennessee at Tennessee. And with how Ole Miss's defense has not played well the past two weeks, and Tennessee's offense played really well, I would expect this to be a very high-scoring game. They had 600 yards total on each side of the ball against Arkansas. I would kind of expect the same thing again against Tennessee this week, especially wherever the hell they play. Tennessee, <laughs> Knoxville, is that where they play? I don't know where they play. I think it's Knoxville. But, uh, yeah, Cincinnati, Desmond Ritter, number three. Number four, Carson Strong. We said this would happen last Wednesday. There was a point where he had the same least number of touchdowns at anybody above him on the list. He had eight passing touchdowns. And we said, this is a game against New Mexico State, which is where he should have a great game. It's at home. New Mexico State's not very good. And he had six touchdowns passing. That's what we expected. In this game, not surprised it happened. 377 yards passing, dominating performance, looking better 
that's that's the best game he's had this year, bar none. I mean, he's had he had a good game against Cal in the second half. Had a decent game, like we said last week against Boise State, but didn't put a lot of yards or passing touchdowns up. Had eight touchdowns, like we said, going into the season. And now he's in the top four. The first time he's been in the top four of the season, he ranked came in preseason five. Then he went six, 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 six. And now he's in number four, taking on Hawaii, who made Jake Hayner's life pretty rough. Had him throw four interceptions against them. So might be a tough game. Mountain West is a tough conference. It's not the best conference, but this year it's a very tough schedule for Nevada. Number five, Sam Howell lost Florida State. Put up good numbers, 203 yards passing, two touchdowns, 108 yards rushing. Third game this season, he's had over 100 yards rushing. But you lose to a really bad Florida State team that lost to Jacksonville State and you lost to Georgia Tech. Both games you lost by double digits. Both games. The past two losses have been against Georgia Tech and Florida State, two not very good teams. And you got beat, obliterated by Georgia Tech, putting it lightly, and beat by 10 against Florida State. You're supposed to be the best, one of the best teams in college football. And like we said this at the beginning of the season. It's going to be rough at the start because he has all new weapons. He has four new weapons to work with. Two new running backs, two new wide receivers. I didn't think it'd be like this. Like He's putting up good numbers. It looks like he's kind of playing hero ball out there. Lose by 10 against Florida State is not great. Not a great look. Especially when you're supposed to be the top, one of the top, if not the top quarterback in the draft class. He's looked off. Very off this season. Compared to what we've seen from Sam Howell, he's looked off. And you should not be losing to Florida State. Especially at home. Especially at home. Like, it's not been their best, but seriously, you can't lose to Florida State. And Howell's dropped down to number five. The lowest point he's been at this season. Next week, he's taking on Miami. Without Derek King, I think Nor- I know that's... Their offense hasn't been good. Let's just say it like that for Miami. Number six, Kenny Pickett. 19 touchdowns, one pick, coming off a bye. Not really a lot to talk about, Kenny Pickett. Number seven, Jane Daniels from Arizona State. Like we said, he's only thrown touchdown passes in two of his six games he's played in this year. And did not do that this weekend. And had one rushing touchdown against Stanford with 76 yards passing. But hey, he showed off this season how much better he is as a passer and has also showed off how much of an athlete he is. The touchdowns, I think, will come. As the season progresses, he's only got four right now, which is not a lot, but I think that will come in time. Pac-12's playing tough this year, and they're playing at Utah. It's going to be a very tough place to play for Arizona State. We saw what happened when they played BYU on the road. Very tough place to play up in Utah. Very hostile environments. So we'll see how he does this week, but he's had two games of over, or three games of 75-plus yards rushing with two games of 40-plus yards rushing to add on to that. So five total games of 40-plus yards rushing. He's looked good. I don't care if he hasn't found the end zone a ton. He's still a very nice quarterback. Number eight, DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. In a game where you kind of expect UCLA to dominate, and they kind of did, they won fairly handily 34-16, they didn't need to rely on the pass game that much. They tried early, didn't really work out. Arizona's got a pretty decent pass defense, which is weird for how bad they are. UCLA killed them on the ground. You had two running backs over 100 yards in this game, well over 100 yards this game. DTR put in two touchdowns in this game on the ground. Not his best game if you're looking at statistics because of the fact he only had 82 yards passing, had one touchdown, one pick, 28 yards rushing, 8 of 19 passing. Not great, but when you when you ride that heavily on the run in this game, your numbers aren't going to be that great. But for the season, he still has got really nice numbers, and it was just an easy game. Nothing too difficult. It was at Arizona, but they handled business going to Washington. Washington. 
next week, which should be a very, very fun one for Boise State or for UCLA and Washington. The problem is with DTR for his stock, Washington does not have a good rushing at defense. So you have 180, 180 yards a game given up on the ground for Washington. I think we might see another game where UCLA is very reliant on the rushing attack with yet another game. On the road as well, at Washington. Another game on the road. They were at Arizona last week, at Washington this week. Number nine, Spencer Rattler. And I put a poll on Twitter that midday. I said, where should Spencer Rattler rank in this week's draft expert prospect rankings? I had top three, four to six range, seven to ten range, not ranked at all. 38 votes, and it is tied at seven to ten range and not ranked at all, which is exactly where I was at, which is why he's ranked number nine. And I, though he's benched, and or it's perceived to be benched, I don't think he'd get his job back. Caleb Williams had an insane game, had a well over 300 yards of total offense, came back against Texas. I get it's a neutral site, but it's in Texas. I think there's more Texas fans in Dallas than Oklahoma fans, just in my opinion. It could be wrong about that. But, yeah, you get benched. You played not great this season for the high standards that were set for you this year. And your backup plays extremely well. And it's weird that you got benched twice against Texas. That's very weird to me. But he deserved it both times. I'm not saying it was wrong. He deserved it both times. I don't think he gets his job back. I could see a scenario where Lincoln Riley tries to play this out, but I don't think he should. It's not good for either one of them. I think Rattler is going to go to the transfer portal. I don't think there's a very good shot he goes to the draft this year. With how bad this season started off for him, I don't think there's a good shot of him going to the draft. It's now getting benched. I think we're seeing more of a transfer portal prediction than a draft prediction here. And why he's still at number nine is because though I think he'll be in the transfer portal, not in this draft class, I think he is still better than the quarterbacks we have from 10 in the honorable mentions list. I think he's still a better quarterback. I would take him over the quarterbacks that are gonna, I'm going to mention in a little bit, at least for right now. If Rattler gets benched, he won't be on this list next week. If he doesn't play Saturday against, who are they playing? TCU. He won't be on this list next week. If he plays, I th- which I think he'll start, but I think Lincoln Riley will try to do a two-quarterback system. That's just what I think it will happen. I don't know. I don't think he deserves a starting spot back. Caleb Williams played his ass off against a top 21 team in Texas, in Dallas, scored 25 points the second or the fourth quarter alone. Yeah. I I have to keep him at nine. I have to keep him on the list. I have to keep him on the list. He's dropped down tremendously, but I have to keep him at least on. And number 10, Tanner McKee from Stanford. And I'd like to preface this. I say this in the reasoning. This is not based off this week. Not based. Tanner McKee had three interceptions this week against Arizona State and threw a crap ton of passes at negative 32 yards rushing, which is lowest of his career, or lowest of this season, which I think is of his career. This is based off the fact that I had JT Daniels on this list. JT Daniels didn't play again, and Tanner McKee last week was my number 11. We said that on the show last Wednesday. He was my number 11. No one really that is in the mentions or the honorable mention spots has been better than McKee this season. So, at least from this past week. So the quarterbacks that we mentioned in the honorable mentions, I don't think they're better than Tanner McKee, even though he had a worse game. He had three interceptions against Arizona State, a top 25 team. But yeah, I I don't want it to go, oh, why are you putting him in here? The ranking looks weird because I haven't mentioned him at all. And then week five, we had him in honorable mentions, and now he's in the top 10. But JT Daniels just doesn't play. Stetson Bennett, they literally said it against Arkansas, he's got a better arm, is more athletic. What does JT Daniels do then? So he, I'm going to spoil this. It's not even in the honorable mentions list. 
He hasn't played again. I don't know if he's hurt or he just gets benched. I, I don't know. All I know is Georgia does not need him to win games, which destroys every take that anybody had preseason, which is exactly what I said. I said they don't need him to win games, but that's what people are going with. So I don't know. But Tanner McKee has had a really nice season up until the Arizona State game, so he's going to still be at number 10 regardless of what happened last week because the people we're going to mention before last week, or last week, we did not rank higher than Tanner McKee, and they didn't have that much better games than Tanner McKee going into this game. So we have Malik Cunningham, had a nice game against Wake Forest. Decent game, I guess, only had one touchdown in the game. But on the season, he's looked very, very good. 270 yards passing this game, one touchdown, 38 yards rushing, no touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over, which is always nice against Virginia. They played Wake Forest last week. And a loss. Next one, we have Akil Glass from Alabama A&M. Uh... FCS guy, they just got blown out by Jackson State 61-15 this past weekend. But big dude, big dude, has very nice numbers going into the season. Doesn't really run the ball that well, but half his yards got taken away against Jackson State because he got negative 47 yards against Jackson State. But in this loss, he didn't turn the ball over, which I think is very impressive. Because when you're losing a game that bad, you start trying to force things a little bit, and it could cause you to turn the ball over, which he didn't do. 16 touchdowns in the season, 1,800 yards passing. He's had a good year. I don't care if it's had a terrible week, but there was no other quarterbacks we could really pick. <laughs> Keenan Slovis got blown out this week against Utah. J.D. Daniels didn't play again. Who else are we going to pick? Every quarterback that's out. Like, then we have Jake Hayner. He was on a bye week. They didn't even play, and he's in the honorable mentions list. Then we have Emory Jones, four touchdowns, one interception against Vanderbilt. It's against Vanderbilt. And then Grayson McCall. Had a very nice game against Arkansas State. So that is what I have for you for my week six quarterback power rankings. Read them over again. Number one, Malik Willis. Two, Matt Corral. Three, Desmond Ritter. Four, Carson Strong. Five, Sam Howell. Six, Kenny Pickett. Seven, Jaden Daniels. Eight, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Nine, Spencer Rattler. And ten, Tanner McKee. So that is all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed this weekend's action in sports because it was just a very fun weekend. Very, very fun weekend. Sunday Night Football was a blast. Great win for the Buffalo Bills. And now Josh Allen's the front runner for the MVP. Not surprised. <laughs> Let's go. So that's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I apologize. And I will see you all later. Peace.